Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Just before Easter, the Spectator carried a fascinating article by Sander Maxon Graham entitled A Tale of Two Sarahs. Two possible future leaders of the Anglican and Catholic churches who, she says, represent versions of Christianity so different that you might as well forget about Anglican-Catholic unity. Actually, strictly speaking, it's not two Sarahs. It's a Sarah, Mullally, new Bishop of London, and a Sarah, the African Cardinal Robert Sarah, who's in charge of worship for the Catholic Church, despite not being at all keen on Pope Francis' modernising agenda. The article very wittily, portrays Bishop Sarah as a kindly purveyor of woolly platitudes and Cardinal Sarah as a frightening figure, icon of Catholic traditionalists who thunders against receiving communion in the hand and once compared gender ideology to ISIS. I found it riveting as an article. Goodness, it will get up people's noses, but it really does blow apart touchy-feely ecumenical fantasies which have perhaps been encouraged by the election of Pope Francis. I'm joined by Ascender Maxim Graham. Welcome, and I wonder if you could just take us through the argument of this very, very memorable piece. Oh, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. And yes, I just was struck by the wonderful coincidence that we had Bishop Sarah, of course, known by her Christian name in a very touchy-feely Anglican way. Catholics do it too, I'm afraid. I do they? Yes. Yes. And of course, Cardinal Sarah, who I'm afraid does seem to be pronounced Sarah, although I have heard it pronounced Sarah. Marvellous coincidence. And I just wanted to look at how incredibly different they were. Sarah, of course, ex-nurse, catapulted to an incredibly high position in the Church of England, third in order of seniority beneath the Archbishop of Canterbury and York. So she's only been a suffragan for two years and was a nurse until the age of 36. She started being ordained in her late 30s while holding down her job as a nurse. Very friendly, lovely, smiley. And Britain's most senior nurse as well. Yes, she was. And then on the other side, Cardinal Sarah pronounces with terrifying certainty. Yes, he does. About the most evils certainly. of the modern world. As you mentioned yes, in, in the piece, he was thundering against mm. receiving communion in the hand. Now, this is something that I don't know, in this country, most Catholics, vast majority of Catholics receive in the hand. I don't, I don't like it, but most Catholics do. I've seen cardinals, including conservative cardinals, receive in the hand. Sarah didn't quite say it was diabolical, but sort of hinted that it was, whereupon Pope Francis immediately said, it's fine to receive in the hand, but that just gives you a little indication. His attitude towards the precious crumbs of the Blessed Sacrament is very, very different from... I imagine Bishop Sarah Mullally's attitude towards an all-encompassing, welcoming, perhaps Let's ill-defined Eucharist. Let's sit in a circle and pass Eucharist. the bread round. Yes. yes. We've said that she had a very distinguished career in nursing. Nonetheless, you do quite rightly observe that she's a bit of a waffler. I feel so. I do quote one of her sayings when she was first given the job. She had to write something. She wrote, typically lovely Anglican wishy-washy sentence, churches confident in faith, compassionate in action and creative in partnership come about when local ministers are supported to be the best they can and members of their congregations are encouraged to flourish and be ambassadors for their faith. And as I say about that, I can neither argue with it nor remember it. It's meaningless, isn't it? It's nice, kind and sweet and meaningless. But as you say, perhaps this happening in all churches these days. Yes. Except oh, for, and, except and for certain, certainly the Catholic. Bishops of England Wells, with one or two exceptions, are fantastic platitude merchants. And certainly, I think Bishop Sarah will get on extremely well with Cardinal Nichols, who, when it comes to bishopese jargon, is 
utterly fluent and has been since childhood, I think. Here's Sarah Mullally on the vexed, very, very difficult question of homosexuality, which really is dividing the Church of England and, and, and the Catholic Church too. Here's the quote. It's a time for us to reflect on our tradition and scripture and together say how we can offer a response that is about it being inclusive love. What on earth does that mean? Yes to gay blessings? No to gay blessings? Long-term gay marriage? Yes? No, you haven't got a clue. And here she is on the question of Anglican priests who don't accept women priests or women bishops, which is a really big issue in London, where there's a lot of traditionalists. Anyway, Sarah says, I'm very respectful of those who, for theological reasons, cannot accept my role as a priest or a bishop. My belief is that church diversity throughout London should flourish and grow. Everybody should be able to find a spiritual home. If you start unpicking that statement you end up in despair, really. Not it's knowing where so you are. so woolly, so unhelpful, to use one of their favourite adjectives. But basically she's saying she's respectful of people who don't think she's anything but a laywoman, admittedly a dame of the British Empire, and that she thinks that there should be a spiritual home in the church... I think she's saying the church, possibly she's saying London, for everybody. I mean, does that include Scientologists? Does it include Wicca? We don't know, but I think we have a fairly clear idea of the tone. But let's talk about Cardinal Seurat, who, as you say, is a rather frightening figure. And he's an icon of quite hardline traditionalists in the church. But also, for some traditionalists in the church, he's seen as quite needlessly provocative. And you say... A bit frightening. That's the impression shared by many Catholics. Yes, I do ask, which of those two would you think Jesus would prefer to be stuck on a desert island with? Would he prefer to be stuck on a desert island with the wishy-washy, sweet, nice ex-nurse or with the terrifying cardinal who does at least obey the Bible? It's very difficult to say, Yeah, isn't it? Because, I mean, one of the issues on which Cardinal Seurat probably disagrees with Pope Francis is on admitting divorced and remarried people to Holy Communion, yet... That's the one subject on which Jesus is relatively hard line. That is, his disapproval of divorce comes across much more strongly as, say, his disapproval of homosexuality, which he never actually mentioned, but divorce he had a thing about, and so does Seurat. Do you think it's partly a cultural geographical thing, because Seurat sounds not just like a Catholic traditionalist cardinal, but also actually like an African evangelical at times, thundering against homosexuality? This is the sort of rhetoric of evangelical as well as Catholic Africans. People almost enjoy, just bring it on, bring on that hard line. But it's quite distinctly African, isn't it? I suppose it it is, it is, and there there are Anglicans just that hard line, I would have thought, as well, among the African-Anglican bishops. Very, very, very hard line. I mean, you know, they make Sarah look like Sarah. So which would you prefer to be stuck on a desert island with? Oh, definitely Sarah, because... Should I say that? But Sarah could mend your broken ankle. Sarah could mend my broken ankle, but it's possible she might bore me to death. Actually, the other mm. bloke might as well. And yes. I might bore them to death <laughs> with my endless, uncharitable carping. But I have to say, if this is the choice we're faced mm. with, I'm slightly reminded of the last <laughs> American presidential election. We really can't face either of them. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference in stature that really surprises me. And lots of Anglican friends of mine they say their jaws haven't stopped dropping since hearing the news on the 18th of December that this person should be replacing Richard Charters, who does have stature and depth and deep theological knowledge yes, he does. and experience. Yes. What happens to all the clergy who really have worked their way up through the ranks, who have done this theological training in their late teens, been curate through their 20s, priest through their 30s, eventually became a suffragan bishop? One of them said to me, what, where are strengths are now our weaknesses in this new atmosphere where 
Justin Welby can just appoint well, someone that, like that's an interesting Sarah. point you make in the article. I'm, I'm glad you did because I hear more and more Anglican clergy complaining about Justin Welby, who's always struck me as a you know impressive and reasonable figure, but he does seem to have an authoritarian streak, and the fast tracking of Bishop Mullally is an example. That was of definitely that. him. Apparently, there's this woman in Lammas Palace, Caroline Boddington, who holds the list, and it's called the oven ready list of people who are oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> who are supposedly ready to be thought oh. of as bishops. And there used to be two people who kept that list. There used to be the Archbishop's Appointment Secretary and the Prime Minister's Appointment That's Secretary. Right, yes. Now there's only one, and this seems to be Caroline Boddington, who happens to be married to the Bishop of Derby, who is a great friend of Justin. And they sit together in Lambeth Palace, and really, I think they really are in charge of who... Now, that actually sounds very much like the sort of arrangement Pope Francis has. Yes, I was going to ask you about cronies. how cardinals get made and how unilateral Well, cardinals get made at the whim of the Pope, which mm-hmm. is why Tonga ended up with a cardinal and New Zealand's ended up with a cardinal. But America didn't get... Major American seas still learned have a red hat. The one line I really had to take issue with in your piece, you talk about the gentle modernisation of Pope Francis. Oh, yes. There's um, nothing gentle about it if you've experienced it. Oh, okay. It's only that in my contacts in Rome. Oh, yes. He's brutal. Oh, is he? Absolutely brutal. So I was just thinking that he only dared to put the thing about remarried people being allowed to take communion in in footnote 351 of a vast... Which he then very disingenuously claimed not to remember writing, which is typical of a Pope who is more economical with the truth than any of his predecessors for a very long time. You say didn't dare to do it. I mean, the problem is he didn't have the support of the bishops to do it. But he was absolutely furious and took it out on people he perceives to be his opponents. So gentle Pope Francis mm, is not so gentle. Is absolutely feel, no. a construction about, of the media um, and, and himself. And do Catholics, in fact, go and take Holy Communion when they have been divorced, in fact? Oh, loads of them do. It depends on your parish. There's lots of ceremonies in the Catholic Church. This point needs to be made, which is why actually your article could also be a sort of morality tale for the Catholic Church because there are people who represent roughly those opposing points of view in the Catholic Church as well. Yes. And the tensions are the same and the difficulty of reconciling them is becoming more and more clear. You can't apply for jobs in the Catholic Church like you can in the Anglican. Apparently the Anglican Church nowadays it's more like applying for an M&S job. You have to put yourself forward and... I have to say I sometimes wish you could apply. Mm. I mean, you know, if there was a meritocratic system of pointing... Catholic bishops, and mm. I assure you that half of the English bishops would still be elderly curates. Yeah, but really? unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't work like yeah, that. Yes, so again, there should be a happy medium. They took Anglican, it's too much now applying and pushing yourself forward and having to sell yourself in the way that most clergy don't find a very comfortable thing to do. And you say at the end of the piece, and I think quite correctly, that mm. this does not bode well for Anglican Catholic unity, but then I mm. thought that was absolutely dead since. I think we both remember mm. it, December 1992, when the Church of England voted to ordain women priests. Do you feel that was when it was Yes, no, off? not the slightest prospect of unity Even though some that. married ones went over to the Catholic Church and were allowed to be married? Yes, but married priests is a question of discipline, and women priests is a question of theology. Priests, you you don't, don't feel in a hundred years' time after... We, that well, it, it would happen. involve the Catholic Church renouncing one of its you know, major teachings set in mm. stone by St John Paul II, and I simply cannot imagine that, that happening. happening. It, it would Never cease to be... A, uh, well, if it happened, no. then the Catholic Church would cease to be the Catholic Church as we know it, so there would be a mm. schism. But in a way, mm. I think that this, if you like, evaporation of chances for reunion between the two churches... It's just a reflection of reality. Whatever Pope Francis may say, actually he's not in favour of women priests. The Catholic Church isn't going to go down that line, and for that reason there's no question of the Catholic Church recognising the orders of Anglican clergy. Nonetheless, 
I almost welcome it because I think it actually reflects the reality of what happened at the Reformation, which is the, the Church of England became a Protestant church and has remained a Protestant church even though its ministers and priests have, over the last century or so, increasingly adopted elements of Roman ritual and dress. But now it's women wearing those, which emphasises the fact that they're two different sorts of churches. Well, with scripture, tradition and reason comes into play more in the Anglican church, and that's why we try I, and nudge things, I, nudge people into I, the 21st Catholic, century. In Catholics of- get very annoyed when they're told that with their intellectual heritage they're less... Less reasonable than mm. Anglicans. They just feel that it's not their reason gift, not in their gift to change the rules. Reason, exactly. Well, exactly. Reason leads them to mm. that conclusion. Mm. Having read the scriptures, decided to base their worldview and their beliefs on mm. scripture. They believe, for example, that even if they wished to ordain women and even if they wished to allow divorce and remarriage with almost no restrictions, they're unable to do so. Yes, whereas Anglicans see that Jesus took things as he found them, took people as he found them in reality, and did bend the rules to deal with what really happened. Well, he bent some rules and he refused to bend others. Mm. In fact, he made rules and effectively with divorce. He was stating a very hard-line position of his own. But anyway, let's (laughs) go down that blind alley. Exactly. Do Um, you mind, mm. as an Anglican, do you mind the fact that we're never going to be part of the same church? I think Jesus must be laughing his head off the idiocy going on down here. I mean, why can't we just sort it out and deal with it? I mean, I happen to enjoy the aesthetics of church just as much as all the theology. I, I love the Catholic ritual and I love the Anglican ritual. And I think it's all part of life's rich tapestry in a way, the difference. The, I, do, yeah, the I do understand that point of view, though the theologian Edward Norman, who did become a Catholic, has always deplored the worship of aesthetics as opposed to the worship of God. Oh, gosh, we'll just go along to Westminster Abbey and just you bask in aesthetics, it's bliss. I, and also I it's my hotline to, to do God. it, I have to say. Um, <laughs> really? Because it's not my church. No, I see, you've never been there. No, no, I have been there. I once had the wonderful experience of going there when it was empty. Not for anything else, you didn't build it, we did. <laughs> Sorry to sound this sort of... <laughs> Gruesomely tribal. Oh yes, exactly. You're, I can but see you're a tribal. It's a bit like football supporters. Anyway, I welcome the recognition that a Catholic church and a Protestant church are different and they can work together, but they're not going to become part Catholics of the same be church. Best, because be Catholics best, do yeah. not believe mm. that the Church of England is part mm. of the church. But Catholics can be best friends with Protestants. Oh, very much. And you know, yes. there's, there's no enmity between actual people, which again, Jesus must look down and think, thank God for that at least. I agree with you yeah. there. And the Pope and Archbishop can kneel down beside each other, but it's not going to nudge, is it? I want to see whether Bishop Sarah manages to be friends with those hardline Anglo-Catholics in her own flock. Who, well, exactly. I've says, heard that it's not... Because I asked about... So I went to St Mary's Bourne Street on Easter Sunday, and they did pray... Or well, they do pray for the new Bishop Sarah in their yes. prayers, which I was very pleased to hear. Which is the extraordinary extent to which they've compromised. Mm, they have, which is marvellous. You see, people can change. But I've heard that there's a Beretta belt on the outskirts of London, as it's known, an Anglican Beretta belt, where they're much more hardline and won't, won't, well, be, perhaps praying, won't be praying for Bishop Sarah. Perhaps it's finally dawning on them that they're in the wrong church, something they should have realised a very long time ago, <laughs> in my opinion. Say. That's what but. you say, but I don't agree. I think they're very happy in the lovely Anglican church. Which they're I'm, not very happy in the lovely Anglican <laughs> church, I can assure you of that, but they stay there. They stay there, they stay there, out of loyalty and, and inertia. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Fascinating piece. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you again. Very I think nice it's about to speak to you. Twenty years since we lost work together. Yes, well, it's very, very giving nice away to talk. our ages there. But you sent a Max and Graham. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. And a quick reminder: Holy Smoke, described by Fraser Nelson as the Spectator's Cask Strength Religion podcast, is available free at the iTunes Store. So go there. And if you enjoyed your sender's piece, don't forget to read it in the Spectator, the world's best magazine, and. Subscribe to The Spectator 
£12 for 12 issues.